This is So Far So Rare, a podcast about all things so rare, brought to you by 1.37pm. This week I spoke to Professor Techers, who's a very data-heavy uh, guest, and we talked about a lot of things. Uh, one of the big things we really focused on was stacking and its importance in building your SO5 teams. Um, so yeah, you might be surprised to see the results of that and the data behind it. We also answered a bunch of your questions, including the transparency on SoRare and the effects of that. We pumped a few players and uh, we wrapped up with some of the, the things in the scoring matrix that we don't like or do like. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy this podcast. So, Professor Techers, before I even ask you anything about yourself, tell me a bit about that name. Where on earth does that name come from? So, it's quite funny, actually. I was working for Adidas at the time, and they used to do, it was a big part of working with their sponsored athletes, and there were one or two players that weren't, should we say, incredibly trustworthy uh, in front of a live <laughs> studio audience. So... <laughs> they uh, decided to create a character that would basically keep people in check. So I, <laughs> after a few beers, was thrown into the character of Professor Techers, the, the data geek behind Adidas's star footballers. And, um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. So when I joined So Rare, I was like, okay, well, actually, you know, it's a quite an interesting name and a funny story of how it came about. So that's, that sort of stuck, really. Yeah, no, it's funny that you actually are so like data mad and, and a geek, as you call yourself, um, and, and you get thrown into that role. But um, no, I think it's a brilliant name. So, Professor Techers, I'll, I'll try and call you Techers throughout, but I'll probably call you Professor Techers. Uh, very official. Um, so, you've been a manager of Put A Name On It since the 22nd of February this year, which is six days before last week's guest Perez joined. I just noticed that when I was doing my notes. Um, do you want to give us a quick summary of your time on So Rare? Now, some people have probably heard you on another podcast this week, uh, but we're going to try and keep this conversation as separate as we can um, and try and give it a lot more value. And Not more value than that podcast. I'm not shit on Hypey's podcast, but like different value. <laughs> um, I thought we but... were going to wait till the 15th minute before we started trash talking. Just go straight it, in. Yeah. Straight in, yeah. Uh, but you've talked about a lot about your, your win on One Shot League there, so we'll cover that a little bit. But if people want to hear more about the strategy behind your win on one shot league uh definitely check out the other so rare podcast you'll find on apple and stuff i don't know just look up so rare podcast you'll find it it's hybe's one and you'll never walk alone anyway tell us a bit about yourself um well yeah i mean i i joined it was kind of interesting time to join actually probably the worst time to join it's that classic if i joined yeah. a few months earlier what would my gallery have looked like but uh, yeah i joined and it was you know, I was sort of taking it slow. I came in in a fairly unorthodox way. Like I didn't actually come in via a referral link. I saw an article about the investment. So I wasn't mm. involved in any other platforms beforehand. I wasn't, you know, really in any sort of community whereby someone would recommend me. And I joined and it was about the time of the the March boom where everything just went crazy. And I just remember seeing sort of the prices of cards that I'd shortlisted doubling overnight. So... Mm. It sort of, to be honest, influenced a lot of how I play the game because, you know, I'm, you know, someone that 
you know loves the, the 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 money ball approach and someone that's looking to seek value and i just thought you know what actually with card prices going the way they are you know it's probably not worth me scrapping to build a buy-in team or build an inter milan team you know can i look elsewhere and can i find players that you know score well but maybe aren't as popular um i know you've talked about you know charles de Ketela a couple of times mm. recently and it was funny because when i when i first joined my instincts were to look at the players that i'd signed on football manager you know sort of three four years into the season <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know and straight to club bruges and looking at yusuf badji and uh, and de Ketela and, and players like that but you know even them i sort of realized that you know they were they were quite hyped and you know mm. there's certain players and actually if you i know de catalar has got huge potential but if you look at him now in terms of sort of immediate scoring potential versus price if you're not targeting under 23 there's you know there's a huge amount of options out there so that's to be honest you know sort of i suppose the time of me joining has heavily influenced how i've approached the game in trying to find you know potentially undervalued players trying to find players that are you know, DNP that, you know, will come back soon. And I've taken a very, very patient approach. Um, and I think it's only really been within the last week or two that I've got the gallery into a place where I'm sort of happy with it now and I'm ready to compete across multiple leagues. Up until this point, it's been very much a process of evolution, um, buying DNPs, buying injured players, waiting for them to return, selling them on, and then reinvesting that into other players to help build the gallery out. And, you know, I, I know we talked about Hibby's podcast, um, and I sort of go into a bit more depth there, but one shot for me came literally right at the start, right as I joined. And I feel it gave me a really good opportunity to learn the scoring matrix to you know, find players that maybe aren't as popular but score incredibly well in terms of SFI. And I actually think that the Jupiler League is is really good for that. You know, there's some mm. players like Rafa Holzhauser, for example, you know, y- Yuma Suzuki, Thomas Henry, Xavier Mercier. There's a load of players that just really aren't household names. But if you look at their last 15s, they're the kind of guys that get you 55, you know, 60 points as an average. And it's just... Mm you know, really sort of solid base to build a team around. So, you know, I am a data geek. I'll be the first to admit that. And, you know, a lot of my approach has been looking beyond the last five number. I had a, a rather yeah. interesting debate with uh, with a, a colourful character on Twitter last week around, <laughs> you know, how to do your own research. And, That's and what such I, a nice way to talk I've about someone who's obviously been, some winding, you know, there's some mad I've, bastard. They're like, he's a colourful uh, character. <laughs> I've been, I've, I've been polite. I've been polite. But you know, what, what he was, his point was, was you don't need anything more than the last five. And I'm, you know, I was just like, okay, well that, in my opinion, is completely different to how I approach the game. Because for me, by the time someone's last five gets to 55, 60 points or above, then is on everyone's radar. You know, the amount of people that start to, you know, filter by last five, okay, boom, there's my guy. But, you know, you're buying them then at peak. You know, it's it's the scarcity versus demand. And if mm. everyone's piling into a player, then naturally the price is going to rise. So for me, I've focused a lot more on 
the underlying stats, you know, stuff that isn't necessarily shown in Sorare or shown in Sorare data, you know, using websites like Wiseguide to say, you know, what's the expected goals of a player? Are they mm. underperforming? Are they overperforming? You know, I bought um, Dennis Buanga was one of my very first signings. And the reason I signed him is because he was massively underperforming his expected goals. So I, I signed him and he actually went through a run of fixtures whereby he was playing, you know, significantly lesser opposition and you know suddenly his last five increased because you know obviously with the forward the decisives matter a lot and if you suddenly start taking your chances then the the difference in those scoring can be can be quite incredible so for me it's very much trying to seek those undervalued players trying to find them before they come pop become popular and I, you know i actually really relish that and that's a big part of the research that i do is you know trying to find these these diamonds in the rough um you know i have I have traded a lot, and I, I have got a lot of respect for Pavel, Pavel. Pavel, I know we talked about you talked about him on the podcast last week, but you know if you've got time and patience, the guy's got so many cards that you know there's there's some absolute gems in there if mm. you can do the research and look beyond that last five number. And you know another you know shout out for him as well as I've got a lot of respect is he's he's got his way of trading the 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 ground rules are very clear and you know <laughs> you, you know what you're going to get and, it, and, and i yeah. i really like that like the amount of, i know it's one of the things you talked about in one of the podcasts a couple of weeks ago where you've got you know you start initiating a conversation about a trade on discord and someone's oh well, it's the lowest on the market and i'm like but well, it's five times more than the last sale so it might yeah, be the lowest exactly. on the market but it doesn't necessarily make it value so you know I, I i respect what pavel does because you know he's very clear with his rules of engagement and you know if you follow that and do, do the research you can you can pick up players from him um and often you know he's willing to accept a trade as well which which is great yeah. if you're in the process of restructuring your gallery i think you know everyone makes mistakes along the way everyone you know evolves everyone adapts their strategy um, and, you know, I, I, I think that that for me is, is a really interesting part of the game of how you are constantly evolving your gallery. And, you know, I have been quite ruthless. Like, I'll be mm. honest, I'll, I'm looking to buy players when their last five's 30. And as soon as they go over 50, then I'm shipping them off. So, yeah. you know, well, I have it takes been... a lot. Like, you know, the, the hardest thing on so rare or any platform like this is selling and having the ruthlessness or having the, I don't know, just having being in that space where that's your plan and that's what you're doing it mm. takes a lot to execute that because i think we all like to think we can do that and we can have the patience and play the long game but when it comes to actually selling whenever the player's coming into form and you want to utilize them in your so5 teams it's hard to just pull the trigger uh one that i pulled the trigger on this week was chiesa do you know a lot oh, of yeah. hype around him after his performance in the euros but i just think like i got 0.95 for him like mm. which was about 0.1 over any previous offer i'd got um, everyone was offering me like 0 0.8, 0 0.85 and I was yeah. like, do you know what? I rate him, he's brilliant, he's yeah. another year or two of under 23s but like, do you know, 0.95 like you can do a lot yeah. with 0.95 you can get two oh, players absolutely. who score as well as him um, well I just question Doku. actually Doku, you bought Doku yeah, Doku for 0.4 like Man. all those all those auctions came through at once and yeah. it was quite interesting like I actually targeted the one I wanted to buy in the middle of the pack because my idea was that people would want the low mint, so they'd want number one. They, you know, they go crazy after that. And when it got to the point of like only two or three cards remaining, then suddenly 
people would be going, oh, actually, no, I want this. So I literally, I targeted one right in the middle of the auction lot and, and ended up mm. getting it for what I honestly think is an absolute steal because, he, you know, he yeah. was holding 0.8 before the new cards were released. And I, he's one of those players that really fits the scoring matrix well because of his dribbles and the amount mm. of times he enters the box in the game. So I've got really high hopes for him. And I, I totally agree with that approach. You know, Kies is a wonderful player, but at 0.95, you've, you've got, you've got a lot of, lot of room to play with. And, you know, you mm. could easily, easily look at picking up a a strong replacement and potentially a strong midfielder as well if you're building out that under 23 unit 100 percent. and i mean i already have the doku and i was actually offered a doku recently in a trade and it was a belgium one but i just love the anderlecht card the, the rookie and i think long term it will have that jerky effect where that rookie card is just going to be because i really do see doku going to the top and he's going to be a really good scorer on so5 and i just think like that that rookie card is everything like as no. rookie cards are in sports like card collecting um i'm some little rewards there but it's because i want to get to a question i have here for you because you're obviously very data-led um you're looking at these players you're talking about like something i find i'm terrible with at times i am a bit of a magpie do you know i see the big names i see the big players i want and i go out and i get an eighth balance and i get them and I'm just a bit, I'm not maybe shrewd enough sometimes. I'm not patient enough. Like, I've been trying to get a Donnarumma now. I sold at All Black and Magnan on the, the transfer list this week. And some guy in the shock, shout out if you listen, came in and bought them both at once. And I was like, fuck. I kind of wanted one to sell and then take the other one off the market. So now I'm champion keeper list, basically, bar Nubel. But I'm thinking, like, do you know what? If I just put that money into Donnarumma... That, that'll cover me for midweeks, that'll cover me for weekends, under 23s, I'm laughing. And I, even if I could stretch to a Hakimi then, imagine that as a stack. But what I'm getting at here is, what am I getting at? My question to you is, a lot of these things are very tangible. The data, the reason I was mentioning me being a magpie is I go for these big players and someone might turn around to me and say, John, why are you buying Donnarumma? You could buy four under 23 keepers who score just as well on SO5 long term. And da 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 da. Now, obviously, there's the Champions League and under 23s and whatever else. Donnarum is a terrible example. What I'm getting at here is the collectability aspect and how that isn't represented in the data. So, while you might find a lot of value in some J League player or some MLS player guy who's 28 who's going to score brilliantly, but does the collectability side of it come into your calculations in any shape or form? Do you know? Because like there is a lot to be said for buying uh i don't even know where i'm like the, i don't have an example in front of me because i just thought of this while you were talking but like a kai havertz rookie is going to be 10x more collectible potentially than some random j league player rookie mm. do you know what i'm getting at it's like yeah how absolutely. do you account for that when you look at data and so5 scores absolutely i think the interesting thing here is it hasn't been a part of my strategy at all um mm. and, I, and i understand it and i and i appreciate that for yourself you've come from a physical trading card background and you know that in that world the you know getting the rookies getting those early prints are are so important and i think it will become more important in so rare but honestly for me it, it hasn't come into my calculations at this moment in time and i think the reason is is because it is very hard to value that you know ultimately mm -hmm. these rookie cards and these early mints are as much as somebody wants to pay you know we kind of go back to to, to the catalara you know if you want to get a high scoring under 23 then actually there's potentially better options out there for the price but 
would De Catalara go on and have an incredible career and be, you know, sort of the next generation of Belgian players coming through? Probably yes. But then, you know, have we had enough? I don't almost don't think enough like Soraya has been around for long enough for us to be able to truly analyze the, mm. the impact and the demand of the collectability side. And I think, you know, there's certain UX changes that the platform can, can make over time that will help that you know i I saw a really interesting example on twitter this week where someone had mocked up the idea of you know almost like a team album where you know you could create a collection of players from a particular club you know there's there's definitely things that will will trigger it and i think we're in you know in such early days and there's there's so many you know such headroom for the platform to grow that i think you will see more and more people coming in focusing on the collectability side um but personally for me um I, I've been very focused on scoring utility and, you know, building teams that, that could win me card rewards and, and could win me payouts. So it hasn't been a big focus for me, but I, I have, you know, started to buy players now. So like Doku, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was interesting that he, you know, was the youngest player to represent Belgium um, at a European Championships. So there was sort of factors like that that I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I, you know, I, I can start adding a few more of these to my collection. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it hasn't been a big part for me. So I'm probably not the best guest to ask in this part. Yeah, this that, that's why I kind of wanted to throw it at you. I threw it at you in a roundabout way, but it's kind of like when you're buying players for the SO5 ability, it's great. But if he breaks his leg, if he breaks his leg, he won't retain as much value because he doesn't have the collectability aspect. Or, you know, I feel like you've more of a safety net. Like with Joe Felix at the minute, for example, I feel if he broke his leg, he might retain value a bit better than X player. Do you know, do you know what I'm getting at? Absolutely. And the other thing is, for me, with these, these collectible players, um, is I think whenever there's another boom, and that's how the, I think this is going to work. I mean, I'm noticing an uptick in my YouTube views at the minute. Um, more people are looking for the beginner tutorial, sort of double their were last week. Um, and, you know, I'm getting a few more signups and stuff. So I'm, I'm noticing that there is a bit more traffic. I've been saying this for weeks. Again, take it with a pinch and salt to everyone. I could be completely wrong. I'm starting to feel something coming. And I think with the new scarcity, whenever they release it, I'm guessing it's going to be this summer, uh, probably in the next month or so. I just, I can see another kind of boom around the corner. Maybe I'm wrong. I just feel it. I feel it all the way down in my plums. Do you know what I mean? It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know if you've ever seen that skit uh, with Will Ferrell. But what I'm getting at here, sorry, is I think whenever that boom does come, what you mm. get is you get a bunch of NFT guys, you get a bunch of big crypto heads, you get a bunch of people who want an investment, and not and like half them mightn't give a shit about football. And what mm. those guys will all inevitably go for is the collectibles. And that's why last time we seen some of the collectible players and cards go to the moon. So I'm kind of oh, thinking, yeah, like, absolutely. if I can hold a few of those, I will 100% sell them on the next boom. I'll mm. keep the high SO5 scorers, but I'll sell the collectible guys. My Jonathan mm. David's gone. Joe Felix is gone. Doku Rookie yeah. probably gone, which is unfortunate. Mm. But I just think it's... Uh, that's why I've, I've kind of got two sectors to my, my gallery. There's the collectible guys who are gone on a boom. Mm. And there's the SO5 performers who should be mainstays like yeah i think it's really interesting and i think as well you know we will have seen more interest because of the onboarding of the national teams because i think you've got that sort of element of national pride and people wanting to collect those cards but the other thing that i think is really interesting is 
you know, hopefully if and or when Sarah onboard more um, Premier League teams. Because if you look mm-hmm. at it in terms of fantasy football worldwide, I think, you know, uh, fantasy Premier League is is the most popular, like, football fantasy platform. And I think people tend to gravitate to players that they know or players that they're aware of. So, you know, one of the examples I mentioned earlier was about players that have a high potential ability on football manager. Like, you know, someone that's come from a football manager background is going to, you know, straight away be looking for those well-known players and those, you know, future stars. Whereas, you know, I feel, feel there's so much growth potential for onboarding managers who maybe don't come from a crypto background, but are really interested in the fantasy aspect of the game. But, don't know anything about the Jupiter League or Russian Premier League. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's more, you know, English Premier League teams that are brought on, I could see an increasing interest. And, you know, if you've got, you know, sort of players from, you know, the most supported clubs in the EPL, then I think that those players would, would really hold their value and retain value. You, you see it at the mm-hmm. moment with, with um, the difference in prices between champion Europe players and challenger Europe players. You know, like Bayern, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Liverpool. You know, there are comparable scorers that are available for much, um, you know, less popular teams, but they they just don't command the same value. So mm-hmm. there's definitely that collectability aspect that is being factored into the price. It's just very, very difficult to to sort of you know put a quantifiable amount on on what that mm-hmm. is. Um, but I agree with you, and I think I will definitely look to bring in more well-known and more collectible cards in the future. But I think for me, it was, I wanted to try and compete in SO5 at a relatively high level without, you know, spending an absolutely insane amount. Like, you know, there's obviously some managers that have come in recently and you're thinking, wow, like, you know, they've just dropped, I think like Roxy, for example, like the, I dread to think the amount that they've spent on 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 uniques and cards in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. So, you know, for me, it's all about trying to compete at a high level, um, but you know, doing it on a you know a an, an everyday man's budget rather than um, mm. coming in and, and dropping you know forty eighth or something like that. So, um, yeah, that, that that is that is sort of it for me. But I, I think I definitely will hopefully you know, can put some winnings to use, you know, sell out some cards that I win and and start looking at restructuring the gallery um, as I go. Yeah, I suppose. And that's the beauty of it. There's a million different ways to do it. Do you know, I could take my whole budget and just buy up all the, as many Felix rookies as I could, as many Jonathan David rookies as I could and wait for that boom that I sense that might never come. Do you know, I could do that and try and make a ton of money there. Equally, you could be churning out rewards in SO5 every week and making money. You could be doing what you do with a patient approach, sort of injury trading and looking at guys out of form. So there's just yeah. so many ways to play it. And well, I see it. Zima Zima this week has bought like 10 Mbappes and six Jao Felixes. So, you know, there's definitely managers out there with that, you know, sort of idea that there is another boom coming and mm. you know that the the well-known players are, are going to be the ones that that people really sort of dive into yeah he's also picked up four ronaldo's yeah like that's mad when you look at that gallery like i was trying yeah. my hardest to get an um, Mbappe for a while and no one would go anywhere near what i wanted to pay i just needed to pay more yeah. but anyway um right the next thing we'll talk about this for about 15 minutes or so get us up to around the 50 minute mark so basically uh we wanted to talk about stacking so i'm gonna ask you a question straight off the bat and you can give me a yes or no answer or whatever 
a much more kind of messy answer and then get into some of the, the notes you've taken but do you think that to consistently succeed in SO5 you need to stack like do you yes. think it is key absolutely I do yeah um, I I've only ever won card prizes when I've been stacking mm. um, and also I didn't really realize I was doing it at the time but with one shot every lineup I composed was a partial stack and it wasn't something I was really looking at, looking at, like I didn't go in with the idea, like I didn't even really consider stacking at that time. But what I was subconsciously doing was looking at fixtures and picking teams that I felt had a high chance of a clean sheet. Mm. Um, and the reason is, is because, you know, just on a basic like chance calculation, if you have a defender and a goalkeeper from the same team, you only need one independent event to happen. You need one clean sheet. The mm. moment that you have, you split that and have a GK and a, a defender from a different team, then you are needing two different teams to keep a clean sheet on the same day. So mm. that was my sort of thought process behind it. And then I, you know, dive with, with the help of some friends, dived into the API and pulled out essentially everything from game week 120. Um, and just looked at podiums. Um, what was the composition of the teams that that placed at the highest levels within within Sarah for the past couple of months? Um, and yeah, quite interestingly, um, I mean, I don't try to go in to prove a theory. I, I like to sort of come up with an idea and then say, okay, well, you know, I'm happy to be proved wrong, but this is what I'd like to investigate. And what I find really interesting, and you know, I've actually. The reason I've done it like this is because at the point of the, the data, the sort of European season was winding to an end. So, you know, like with one shot, for example, I was quite fortunate that I picked team, I picked um, players from teams that still had something to play for. You know, if you were, you know, I think Charleroi, like by the time one shot started, they were literally like, they're going to finish 11th or 12th. They had like nothing to play for. So I was like, mm -hmm. there's no point in picking players from that because they're just sort of winding down and checking out. So I, I excluded those teams from the calculations and focused on Asia and America because Asia started in game week 146 and America started in 158. So I said, okay, well, ever since those leagues have started, um, what teams or what compositions of teams have won? Um, my initial thought was that it was going to be full team stacks. Um, you know, you look at certain leagues and certain teams and, you know, like Bayern, Zenit, Ajax, Club Brugge, they absolutely dominate their leagues. You know, they're sort of the teams that score three goals a game and often keep clean sheets. But if you look at the players from those clubs, you know, Lewandowski, Vanneken, Dezuba, you know, the, all of these players are very, very well known and they command a premium. So... I went into the idea of saying, okay, well, is it full team stacks that are winning or are people being a bit smarter with it and forming composite stacks? So are they looking at, you know, goalkeeper and defender from one team and then midfielders and forwards from another? Because it's a very rare occurrence when a team is the best defense and the best attack in mm. the same league. You know, you do see it with like Ajax, for example, and, and Club Brugge, but in the other leagues, so, you know, MLS, K-League, J-League, I was like, you know, the team that is the best in attack isn't also the best in defense. So I went in to try and look at it in that way. So I pulled the data for essentially every podium. Um, and the reason I 
focus just for for context i focused on global all star uh, sorry on d4 not global all star i focused on the divisions but i focused on d4 and the reason i focused on d4 is the higher up the leagues you go the more difficult it is to form these stacks because of the scarcity mm. of star um super rares and unique so i was like rare's going to if we look at d4 where it's all rare it's going to give you the best opportunity to understand what are the best managers in the game doing and who are who are winning because at, at rare level you can form you know with with the with the money you can form any team you want so what i found really interesting is since the start of um america or mls in in game week 158 36% of the teams on the podium had a uh, defensive stack mm. um and 38% had an offensive stack. So defensive stack could have been goalkeeper, defender, defender, or goalkeeper, defender. Whereas mm. the offensive stack could have been two midfielders and a forward, a midfielder and a forward, or a midfielder and two forwards. Um, and the reason I split it up like this is based on how players score decisives. So, you know, for your defenders, I appreciate that defender doesn't get a decisive for clean sheet, but they do get a 10-point bonus, so it is important. Mm. Whereas midfielders and forwards, they kind of need to get a goal or an assist for, yeah. for you to get to the top, top, top levels. So that was my sort of thinking behind splitting it into those sort of two separate units. And then going back to that point around keeping clean sheets, like you only then need one team to keep a clean sheet rather than two. So you're inherently improving your chances just by that very nature of you know relying on one independent event to happen rather than two. Um, interestingly, with Asia, um, it was similar from a defensive side of things. So 33% of the podiums had a defensive stack, um, but only 25% had an offensive stack. Um, and I think the reason for this is because a lot of the fixtures in America have been dominated by Atletico Mineiro. So the Brazilian league is like Atletico Mineiro. I was just writing a preview for the Copa Libertadores game this week. They've played something crazy like nine games in the last six weeks. Like, mm. So there has been an element of bias to the result because Mineiro have played so many games and they are very, very strong in their league. But what it's saying to me and sort of looking at this data it suggests to me that if you are looking at stacking, the more important stack is the the, the goalkeeper and defender. Um, you will get benefits from an offensive stack because you know you might have interaction effects. So there's certain players that always tend to provide a decisive for the other. So um, one of the examples in Belgium is uh, Xavier Mercier and Thomas Henry. Like, like one scoring, the other's assisting, like pretty much every game. Mm. Um, I was very fortunate to place 12th last week in America, and I had um, Carlos Gill assisting Adam Buxa. So you've got these sort of elements. I think you can stack a goalkeeper with any defender, but I think when it starts looking at the forward stacks, it, the choice of players is more important. But you could, for example, in a defensive stack, get the goalkeeper and the cheapest defender because a lot of the time there's centre-backs, for example, they tend to be on parity with each other. Um, full-backs or wing-backs tend to be a little bit more explosive. But you know, as long as you've got one that gets the clean sheet, you've put yourself in a good position. Whereas when you look at going forward or your midfielders or your forward, I think the captain choice and I think the 
choice of players is more important. So mm-hmm. it's looking at who interacts well with each other. Um, but I, I definitely think that you know the, the the data suggests that that stacking is is working at the highest level. Obviously, I've only looked at podiums. Um, you know, I, I, I can run further analysis if it's of interest. Oh, no, please feel free to fire questions after the pod if there is anyone interested in this. I'm happy to run it a little bit further out and look at, you know, what gets you top 10, what gets you tier mm-hmm. one. You know, I think it, you, we will see more and more instances of, of stacking delivering card prizes. But I just wanted to focus on essentially what gets you ETH in a card at this point. Because, you know, like I said, I'm trying to trying to focus on challenging at the highest level. So, you know, that was why I was I was looking at that specifically. No, it's it's very interesting because I think I never really give stacking much thought. And then I started listening to the So Rare Andrews podcast and they're big, big sort of fantasy players and DraftKings and whatever else they're into, all that fantasy stuff. And they started talking about stacking and I was thinking like I kind of subconsciously don't know. I think from an FPL standpoint, where like you would double up on defense, you might double up with an attacker, a midfielder, like Son and Kane would be a big one on FPL. They might have as times they teamed up for goals last season was mad. Um, and every season there are these players. Uh, but I was kind of maybe doing it a little bit subconsciously and so rare. But now I'm very, I'm really, really focused on it, and it's really sort of guiding me now with my signings because um, I'm a bit of an ETH balance at the minute I'm thinking about who I could bring in and I'm, I need to pick up keepers but I know in those keepers I should probably be looking at strong defenders I already have um, but it's interesting for everyone just to be aware of it like you know really you should be strategizing around this like you know we all like to scatter gun I'm the guiltiest in the room for it just buying high performing defenders high performing midfielders and strikers and whatever and just kind of throwing them all on a team together but something that happened to me recently that's kind of a stack that's occurred that I'm going to be using a lot and it's maybe not want to sell players is a lot of people who listen to the podcast know I've been transitioning madly into under 23s but I've had Tadic and I've had Berghaus for a long time and I was trying to sell them both for a long time mm. and now Berghaus is signed for Ajax yeah. and if I'll, be keeping, playing, I'll be keeping hold of that pair for, for, for the start of the season absolutely that's sure. like I think yeah. those two together could just be like the pair do you know yeah. so now I'm starting to think like should I sign an Ajax midfielder should I sign an Ajax defender and try and find a keeper and just go full on Ajax stack and challenger each week? That could be mm. fucking crazy. Or, as you say, split it up into the units of attack and defense. Do you know? Because, I mean, getting another yeah. three Ajax players could be expensive. Maybe Absolutely. I could look at another team who's very good defensively, who maybe aren't as glitz and glam, but will keep clean sheets and I could go for a defensive stack there with three players. Or even pick up a cheap Ajax midfielder, maybe Klassen mightn't be that expensive or something. Don't know what his story mm. is. Um, a lot of DMPs, I think he's injured. I need yeah. to look into him, but mm. I, I mean, really the, need the, to think about that, do you know? Yeah, for me, so the really interesting thing and the reason I focused on it more is I I hadn't won many cards. I, you know, I was very fortunate to win a lot of cards in one shot. I you know won some cards through the, the Sarah Data League, but in SO5, I really hadn't, won many cards up until recently and i think that was an element of my haphazard approach of getting players that were injured and waiting for them to return from injury so then i'd look and i'd have like you know a common roma keeper and a you know right back from marseille and you know the Mm. team if you looked at it it was all over the place and it was only when i started moving into mls that you know actually my first car like you know first tier one i think it was was hector martinez of river plate which was an amazing pickup at the time but that was picked up 
you know, and I actually had a Portland stack. I had Dara and Espria, who I'd paid like nothing for, but Portland did really well in the CONCAF Champions League. And I was like, yeah. hang on a minute. Like, I've just gone and won an incredible prize with players that really didn't cost me a lot. But, you know, interestingly, they were all on the same team. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I should look more into this and and that sort of set me on that path and then you know last week i was fortunate to win three card prizes i won um under 23 i won america and i won asia and in under 23 i had a new york red bull stack in asia i had an ulsan stack and in um, america i had a new england stack and i was like okay well I've, I've literally just i've done this research the first week that i've actually put it into practice i've suddenly won three card rewards so mm. you know I, I feel there's definitely something there and it's something that i'm you know going to be focusing on more going forward you know i'm always one trying i do try a lot to try and remove you know sort of unconscious biases that i have but for me, everything I've seen so far and the research that I've completed suggests that, you know, stacking, if done right and done with the right teams, is is gonna, you know, you know, put you in a good place. I mean, I wouldn't be mm-hmm. recommending anyone to stack Toronto defense at the moment. But uh, you know, if you <laughs> if you look at if you look at teams that, you know, regularly keep clean sheets that have a, you know, fairly low expected goals against, then your chances of getting clean sheets, your chances of that sort of goalkeeper and defender linking well is 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 inherently going to be improved by you know the smaller number of independent events i think when it goes further forward it's more important to have the right players and you know i just you know i bought carla's gill this week and you know the reason was is that i i felt that i just kept on missing out on prizes by a really small amount like, you know, sort of 10, 15 points. And, mm. you know, I was looking at it and I was like, I had consistent all-round scorers and I was regularly getting over 300, but I was never getting to that sort of 330, 340 mark that would, you know, sort of really lock me in a prize. And I think a reason for that was I just didn't really have a standout captain choice. I had a lot of mm. middle-of-the-road, consistent players, but nobody that was going to get that sort of explosive score to really tip me over mm. the edge. So I'd honestly recommend for, you know, people that are thinking about it, um, you know, start with a defensive stack and then look, you know, spend more time researching who it's going to be, who's going to get you those decisives going forward. Because I think it's less important to have an offensive stack than it is to have a defensive mm. stack. Obviously, yes, you know, there's certain weeks and, you know, like Atletico Monero, you know, banging three goals in the Brazilian league and keeping a clean sheet. Then if you've got a full Monero stack, then you're, you're going to do very, very well. But, mm. You know, Monero, you look at the cross of their players and it's very, you know, it's it's known that Monero, uh, you know, you've got a Monero stack and you're going to do fairly well. So it's trying to look beyond that. And that's why I think that the composite stacks are important. You know, if money's no no object, then brilliant. Go and buy a full buy-in stack. Go and buy a full Inter Milan or full eight Real Madrid stack. And, you know, you're not going to do far wrong with those teams. But if you're looking to operate on more of a budget, then trying to find those two teams that, you know, compose or complement each other well and potentially even looking at fixture ease so you know my i've got my challenger team set for the first week now and it's a composite stack of uh Andelect and locomotive moscow because they've got pretty decent fixtures um and their, their sort of fixture ease overlaps quite well so my idea was you know i wouldn't have you know Andelect put in like a worldly performance keep a clean sheet and then you know, locomotive come up against like the best defense in the league in Zenit and blank. So that that's where I've started, you know, focusing more on it now is to try and, 
you know, look at fixtures, look at the interaction effects between players going forward, and then, you know, break the bank a little bit for that standout captain choice that's that's really just going to, you know, you, you don't even have to question it each week. Like the amount of, yeah. before I bought Gil, the amount of times I'm going, oh, do I give it to him? Or, oh, do I give it to him? And I was like, you know what, actually, there is value in having that player that you just know is going to return you 70 plus every week. Mm. Uh, and if you've got the budget for it, then, uh, you know, I'd highly recommend it. You know, I was very fortunate that Gil returned 20% of the price I paid for him in the in the first week, just on the card reward that I got. So I was sat on the fence for ages going, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? And then, you know, I've done it and, and, and straight away seen rewards. And I feel that, you know, that could be the same with you with Donnarumma is he's, he's obviously got a huge premium on him, but, you know, PSG are going to do well in the league. They're going to probably do well in the Champions League again. Like the amount of utility that you're going to get from him, mm. the save points, you know, Less, less said about this, the better, but penalty saves. He's probably going to get a few of those over the course of the season <laughs> as well. Um, you know, you've got that player that's just first name on the team sheet, lock it in, don't worry about it, and and wait yeah. for the wait for the rewards to come in. That's what I'm, th- I'm thinking. Like it, it seems like a, a large premium. I could buy two or three other keepers uh, here under twenty three. But I'm thinking if I've done a rumor, you've got the Champions League midweek covered. You've got every weekend covered. You've got international tournaments covered. You know, you're just mm. sorted and he's going to be nailed so like i could even go d2 stick him in as a rare and four super rares and just have a go or he could just be the nailed d3 guy and then if you go pick up hakimi you're you're home in a boat but the bottom line is i think stacking something a lot of people will be aware of some maybe some people haven't really paid attention but it really should be something that's all about like if we're talking so5 strategy it needs to be at the forefront of your mind and it hasn't been as close to the front of my mind as it should have been last season but coming into next season the signings I'm going to be making here on out are going to be complimenting players I have, I think. Um, just to wrap this up, we'll try and be quick because you have this here and we could talk more, but there are a lot of questions that I want to get to. So just really quick, challengers restarting soon. Um, a lot of these sort of the Belgian League, the Dutch Leagues and whatever else. You have a few teams here that stand out in terms of defence and offence. Um, I sound American there. Offence, offence. Offence, um, go sports. Offense. Go offence. Go offence. <laughs> Go defense. Yeah. Uh, Emily's probably in the background hating us for mocking her accent. But anyway, um, yeah. Do you want to talk us through some of the the main? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I heard that. I heard. <laughs> Everyone meet Emily. She's the producer. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Who are the standouts? Um, for me, you know, there's there's obviously the clubs I mentioned earlier. So you've got Club Rouge, you've got Ajax, you've got Zenit, like they are so strong in their respective leagues that like you could get you know pretty much anyone from them and they're, they're gonna they're gonna do you well but what i've tried to look at is maybe the less popular teams the ones that you know there's still bargains to be had rather than you know going toe to toe and paying 0.4 eth for for hans vanneken um you know who else can you get you know so for me the teams that i'm really interested in at the moment is andelect from a defensive standpoint. So Anderlecht were the second best defence in Jupiler last season. And that was despite playing three goalkeepers throughout the course of the season. Mm. So they had an injury to their first choice and it was a pretty disrupted season. But Vincent Company sets his teams up to be very hard to beat. So for me, they're an absolute standout choice in in, uh, Jupiler. Um, They don't come on to a little bit later, but the two Turkish clubs, Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, um, are also... 
you know, pretty pretty strong in terms of um, you know their sort of defensive solidity. You've also got you know you're talking about under twenty three keepers there, but you've got uh, Altai Bandaya for Fenerbahce, who's an under twenty three keeper. So they're definitely an interest for me in terms of um, you know the under twenty threes. Um, in terms of offense, um, <laughs> it's it's gank, but there's a lot of transfer rumors circulating around gank at the moment so i'm sort of waiting to see what happens there um psv and az alkmaar as well but again there's also a bit of transfer speculation around some of their players so i i think that that you know obviously if you have their players it can be quite frustrating because you don't know where they're going to land and you don't know if they're going to retain their scoring potential but for you know for me on the outside looking in i'm really closely monitoring who the replacements are because mm. you know az psv gank they're all teams that score you know sort of two and a half three goals on average game so you know they are strong attacking units the, their managers set them up to to go and score goals so it's kind of the player in the system so you know for mm. me and Alchu is probably going to leave Genk. Uh, it's not been confirmed yet, but I think it's fairly likely. So for me, I'm you know sort of really closely looking on who replaces him. You know, the same with Stangs, for example. The same with you know Donnell Malian. You know, whoever replaces steps up and replaces those players are coming into a really strong attacking unit and are likely to be getting decisive. So mm. that's that's sort of where I've started to look at it. I think there's you know there's also value in the Russian league, you know, locomotive, CSK CSKA, um, you know, Dynamo Moscow pretty decent defensively. So it's it's looking, you know, a lot at that and trying to find value in these composite stacks as opposed to just um, you know, money no object going getting a full zenit or going get a full ix for example yeah no that's great so what i'm probably going to be doing and what i am doing is i'm sitting looking at teams i have like alkmaar there i have stangs coop miners and of their new sign in pavlidis so if stangs was to stay that'll be a kraken stack that, mm. that sounds cool too kraken stack i think i think pavlidis has got a good season coming um, yeah i think he's going to be one to watch for sure Someone who always cries for the shout-out, so I'm going to give it to him, is YDM1, who shouted him out to me. So there you are. Thank you, sir. Um, but yeah, I think he's... Yeah, that, that could be a cracking stack um, of a lot of Napoli players. But now I'm probably going to be looking and thinking about how can I build around these. Like It makes sense looking at my Napoli players to pick up Insigne or someone, like a, someone who can really just cement that. But the awkward thing here is under-23s, which is where I mainly am. It's trying to find those teams that fit that bill but also have starting under 23s in the respective positions. If you can get those, that's where you'll really come out on top in under 23. If you can mm. find a team that has a forward, two forwards and a midfielder who play every week who are amazing at under 23, like that Pavlidis, Stangs and Miners, if they were all to stay, I think that that's not happening. But that yeah. would be outstanding, you know. But if you yeah. can find those, that, that would be amazing for under 23s. There's um, very few... Um, yeah. So I've, and I've be actually, expensive, like, be they, have, they are. So well, the really interestingly though, the one that I've just picked up is Maximenko. So mm. Spartak, there's very very few teams that have a solid under twenty three goalkeeper and a solid under twenty three defender. Um, Kashima Antlers are, are one of them, um, but obviously if you're a manager that's focused more on the European leagues, then you know, I know certain certain people don't look to Asia or don't look to their MLS. Um, the other one is Spartak, 
So Spartak have just changed coaches. They've now got Rui Vittoria, who is a far more defensive coach. Um, interestingly, Spartak massively underperformed their expected goals against last season because they sort of changed their formation mid-year and they had a lot of injuries. But for me, the, the two that I've personally just got is Maximenko and Maslov. So Maslov's a, he had a, a pretty torrid end to the season and his last five got dragged down by an own goal. But he's one of the best defenders, under 23 defenders in Russia for progressive passes and duels one. So I've, I've started looking, you know, sort of deeper into the stats to say, okay, well, once, you know, where are the stacking potentials in under 23? Because interestingly, when I look through the stacking analysis, under 23, the prevalence of stacks was far, far lower. But, you know, that was because there was so few um, teams that facilitated the stack. Um, the, the only sort of teams that that, that were able to do it was um, Porto, uh, Genk, when Van der Voort started playing, um, showed Van der Voort, Lucimi, um, and Standard Liège. So you had Bodart um, and then, you know, one of the young defenders there as well. So there's not, there's not many teams, but, you know, the, the most popular um, goalkeepers last year for under 23 in terms of prize winning was... Um, Liège of Bodart, um, Lafont of Nantes um, appeared quite a lot. Um, you also had Kashima, um, Waslan Beveren, interestingly. They had Nordin Jackers. They got relegated, but their goalkeeper kept so many save points that he ended up getting like 50 or 60 points a game without a clean sheet because he was just getting That's absolutely mad. peppered. Um, and then, you know, the other one is Spartak. Um, also as well, one that I expect to see a lot more of this year because he was injured for a lot of the year is um, Safnov of Krasnodar. I think he's, you know, he's another one that, you know, he makes a lot of saves. Um, I don't think there's an obvious stacking candidate for him at Krasnodar, but in terms of solid, reliable under-23 goalkeepers, obviously you mentioned the dream team of Donnarumma and Hakimi, but, you know, if you've not got probably, what, two and a half, three ETH to spend on... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you've got to sort of look elsewhere. And, you know, for me, I'm quite excited by Spartak this season because I think there's there's not been um, a huge amount of attention on on their players relative to some of the other options in under-23. So, Well, I'm pulling a scumbag move, listeners. I've already put a bid in on a wee Maslow there, so we'll see how that pans out. <laughs> uh, could be picking up a Maximenko too at this rate, but um, just looking for those under-23 sort of defensive stacks because I've got all the attackers in the world. I just need that. I need two more keepers, and I need... Yeah, maybe on a rim is a bad idea. Anyway, look, that's enough on stacking. I think it's a very interesting topic. That's a really good deep dive that'll last a, f- a few months on the podcast, then maybe we'll have to talk about it again. But um, thanks for going into the depth there, and thanks for having the research. But with about 10 or 15 minutes left, so we'll try and bang out a few questions. With a few here, we'll try and be as short and snappy as we can, because I do want to try and get through as many as possible. First up, Jay Fraz, and thank you to everyone for submitting questions. If we don't get to them, I'm sorry. There's just so many, which is amazing, and it really helps. Please don't stop sending them. Um, is transparency on the so rare platform a good thing, or does it actually prevent you from building and executing a strategy in secret with every trade being visible? So I'll just talk about this one quickly and then see if you have any thoughts, uh, techers. So this is funny, like because being a content creator, do you know, there's a lot of people who find my YouTube channel and maybe go and find me on So Rare or whatever else. I had one recently, I was telling you just off air, where I bought a player off a guy, I forget exactly who it was, it might have been Oshman, 
um, and just to make up the value, he'd no extra ETH. I was like, sure, chuck in those three Schunderwaltz or whatever it was, some not point not two keeper that he had three of for some reason that someone had basically shafted him with, being like, you'll take these as part of this deal. And he's like, I go on. So he had these three random Schunderwaltz keepers. I ended up getting them in this deal because I was like, they'll be handy for training, and I gave him like not point not five of value for them or whatever. And I got like four messages the next day being like, here, Schinderwald, what's, what do you know that I don't? I've picked one up. And I was like, what the fuck are you picking one of this guy up for? I have no idea. Like, uh, his value rose from like 0.02 to like 0.04. And I was just like, right, buy them off me, guys. <laughs> Please. Um, and I just, it's funny because like you do have, a, you'd be surprised how many traders actually look at people they trust. Um you should not trust me, disclaimer, but if people like you techers who are very in the data, you're playing that long game, do you know, you sound like you know what you're talking about. People are probably going to be looking thinking, right, who's techers signing? And I know I have one or two accounts that I, and they're not really well-known people, I'm not telling you who they are, that I know are really, really knowledgeable in particular leagues. And I'll just search them every so often and see, has he picked anyone up? Do you know, because you know, if they have, maybe I'll try pick one up too. Um, and it's a brilliant thing, the transparency, but at the same time, if you're trying to pick up five of a player because you think it could be a great flip over the next two months, you're, you're probably not going to get three bought before someone's someone's owned you or copying you. Like, yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, I I've had a similar experience whereby I've had people messaging me going, "What have you bought him for? Like, you know, what genuinely? What do you know?" Um, but at the same time, I think it, I've I've kind of gone about it in a strategy, and I think the interesting thing here is. You obviously talked about the um, you know sort of visibility, but I think it's about how the data is presented. So I actually had I was talking I was having a conversation with someone the other day about selling players at their peak, and some guy comes you know I'd never have a conversation with him. He's like yeah, but you're you know you're shit at selling players, mate. And I'm like what are you talking about? And what I realised is that Sered data only shows your sales if they were bought off the secondary. If you've done a direct deal or if, you know, you've listed for 0.1 and someone's gone, oh, mate, I'll give you 0.095 and you've gone, oh, all right, go on then. Um, I probably shouldn't say this because now I'm going to get a load of offers below what I've listed. But I, I, tend to, <laughs> I, tend to be, I tend to be pretty happy just having a conversation with people, you know, and, and you know, if, if, if I'm feeling generous, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to knock a little bit off. But what is so transcribed is I've actually made over three and a half ETH in player sales. And so rare data shows about 0.5 ETH. Yeah. Um, so I think it all depends on on what it is that you're looking at or what, you know, you talk about executing a strategy in secret, you know, maybe not after I've appeared in, in a couple of pods this week, but <laughs> I feel up until this point, I've kind of been able to just get on with it and, and sort of work on on what I, I want to do. But I think, you know, there is obviously that that challenge, um, but, you know, it hasn't, I haven't seen it, sort of seen it as an effect for me at this point. In yeah. Time. Yeah. It's not, it's not that big a, big an issue at all but i mean it, there definitely is ramifications there um the, the question is which random dmp are we both going to buy 10 of on this call right now <laughs> <laughs> and see how many messages we get yeah let's yeah. find someone worth like not point not not water or something yeah, yeah. Time for that um question from hoodwink what's your thoughts on the recent rewards announcement so dynamic rewards 2.0 there was a two-part two-part blog in that people should check out um people have probably heard my thoughts already so just in relation to time what are your thoughts in a nutshell um 
in in principle, I think promising. I think for progression and giving more managers an opportunity to experience the joy of winning prizes is a very good thing. Um, my only apprehensions are what does it do to supply and how do they keep the integrity of the tiers? Because I did notice that DMPs got got mixed in all the way up through, should we say. So I, I would like to see some more changes and I'm kind of reserving judgment till I see how it works after a couple of weeks because, mm. you know, I was unfortunate that I did pull a, a, you know, a DMP that actually left the league for 32nd last, late, last week. So, you know, I am hoping that there will be some changes and they'll look more at really sorting out the pot allocations because you know i know we've had obviously some fairly high profile cases such as our you know a good friend of tebow but um you know that there there are you do look at the you do look at the pots every week and go how on earth has he got in there so yeah i think the dynamic rewards and the pot allocations for me are interlinked and i am going to sort of keep an eye on it and reserve judgment until i see how it pans out after a few rounds of rewards yeah, I think it, that's a good thing. That's something we, we can all trust the Surare team with. I think, by and large, most people do, that they might stick something out. If the fir- first iteration isn't on the, on the money, they will change it. They will adapt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They They're the very good with, with accepting feedback, which I think is, yeah. is great. Yeah. So yeah, we'll but everyone makes everyone, out. you know, every, uh, you know, particularly with startups, you know, mistakes happen, you know, mm-hmm. not even necessarily mistakes, but unintended consequences. You know, you yeah. might have thought something might work out in one way, but actually it doesn't. And I think you know, that the, obviously the discord is, is very active. And I think that, you know, they, the team do take on board that feedback and, and feed it into to the product team. So, yeah, I think it's, it's good to give them feedback in a constructive way. It's time to pump it up. So Josh Fourth wants to know which player you think is the best buy from the Jupiter League currently. I gotta be careful with this. I've been called out for being a pumper one too many times. So it's time, everyone um, do your own research. Absolutely. Buy two or three, you'll probably be buying them off us. So who is yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um the one for me, and I've bought his super rare, um, is Klaus from Standard Liège. Um, the reason I think that he's a good buy is because he only joined halfway through the season. So he's actually on loan from Hoffenheim, but he got seven decisives in 900 minutes, which if you look at it on a per game level, it puts him among the elite scorers in the league across a full season. If you extrapolate it out over the the whole course. So that was the reason I bought his super rare. Um, and I've been watching a lot of their preseasons and he's been taking penalties, which I think is, is obviously an absolute winner. Um, you know, so rare tends to favour, and obviously penalties if you score them, but players that take free kicks and corners always tend to do pretty well as well. And for some reason, Klaus, despite a load of other players' prices rising recently, I think Klaus is still on, on sale for like 0.1, 0.15, which, 0.15. you know, for, yeah, which for, for a week in, week out, you know, he's going to be the main guy up top with Jackson Maleka for Liege this season, I think is, is a really good shot. He's 24 as well. So, you know, you've got... Mm some decent years of utility in him. So, yeah, he was the one that, that I, I'm quite excited about going into this season. I think there's a lot of good players in the league, but he was one that stood out to me as not seeing the same price jump that other forwards in the league have had. You know, there's other players that I, I would say are comparable to him in terms of scoring potential that the current asks are like 0.3. and above so you know he Mm. he was the one Uh, as josh has 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 prodded me on it i will come out with one and and he's he's the guy for me 
Well, do you know what? I've just sent a couple of offers abusing my position as a podcast host again. I fucking love it. It's brilliant. <laughs> uh, come on, buy them off me in a few days, guys. Help fund the podcast. <laughs> no, I won't be selling them if I get one. That is a joke. Um, so, yeah, fair play. I think that's a great shout. And, uh, do you know, I'm really lazy in terms of my like research and stuff. Normally, like knowing that he's a penalty taker is huge. Do you know, that's everything. Like being a penalty taker is fucking huge. So watching a few preseason games, I think a lot of us have been distracted with the likes of the Euros. Maybe a lot of us are looking forward to the next two weeks off before we get right back into it. But watching preseason and picking up whatever you can can be absolutely key. Well, um, I I pulled the trigger. I actually bought Van Kronbrugger, um, rare and super rare, because I was watch. I was looking through. Anderlecht had a gallery of players that were featuring in a preseason training match. There was no written information about it whatsoever. No information about the lineups. And Van Kronbrugger has been injured for ages. And I saw him in the background of one of the pictures and I was like, oh, damn, he's back from injury. Um, mm. And went away, pulled the trigger on the... I, I got the rare for 0.27. Um, and then literally as, as, you know, as recently as last week, the asks are now like 0.45. Uh, because it broke that he's back from injury. So, you know, it really does pay to, you know, spend time watching the games. Obviously, I'm a huge data geek, but there's some things that just data doesn't show. So, you know, being able to watch the matches, looking through the galleries of the teams that are in preseason training, you can get a good understanding of, you know, how teams are lining up, who looks to be, you know, in the manager's favours ahead of, you know, the preseason friendlies. Because what's happened now is, He's appeared in a preseason friendly, actually saved a penalty in the preseason friendly, and suddenly everyone's gone, Oh, hang on a minute, like he's back, I want him, and his price has gone gone through the roof. So yeah, if you've got you know the time to do it, I you know, I really highly recommend. And a lot of the Belgian league as well, they they put the full matches on YouTube. So mm. you can you can watch the the full um full match and, and sort of see how your players are playing or you know, see how your shortlisted players are playing as well. No, that's brilliant. And you'll find that as well. I think a lot of the J-League and K-League stuff's on YouTube. YouTube's great for a lot of these mm. more obscure leagues. Absolutely. Um, you'll find a lot there, especially like even highlight shows and stuff. Mm. Perez has asked, I'm just going to pick one or two more of the ones that we've got left here. Perez says, what two tweaks would you both make to the scoring matrix? Now, I'm sure you've put a lot more thought into this than me, so I'm just going to let you answer <laughs> it again on the basis of time. So no worries. Bang that one uh, out for us. Cool. For me... Um, the one thing that I would really love to see, and I've thought about this a lot because of obviously how the value of players would be impacted by potential changes, but the one that I think would impact all positions positively is how loss of possession is scored. So at the moment, you get a bonus for completing a final third pass. So you get like 0.01 for pass completed, and I think it's like 0.03 if it's a final third pass. Whereas if you lose possession, it's negative one like for defenders goalkeepers uh, it's negative 0.5 for midfielders and negative 0.1 for forwards but the issue is you know goalkeepers taking goal kicks i wince every time i see my goalkeeper take a goal kick because mm. i know they're about to lose a point because they've just lumped it yeah. forward and the and the center backs got on it so what i would love for sir to consider is almost an inverse of final third pass completed and look at where on the pitch lost the possession has been lost because if you're a fullback that's tried to whip a ball into the box and it's been blocked by the defender, is that 
as big a negative as tripping over your own feet and giving the ball away on the edge of your own box. I, personally, I don't think it is. So, you know, you look at the fullbacks and defenders in particular get absolutely killed by loss of possession. And I think that a lot of the times, you know, they haven't put their team in threat. They've, they've been trying to, you know, break down the opposition. So naturally they're going to lose possession. So I think that there's definitely something that could be done there because I don't think it's equal. You know, if you've had a cross block, it's not the same as, you know, a, a, a dodgy pr- pass back to your yeah, keeper gets intercepted. Exactly. Well, exactly. penalised another way, but well, yeah. yeah. But no, that would be the one. Um, the other one that I really hate is big chance missed because it is so damn subjective. Yeah. Um, you know, and I really, I mean, I am a data geek and I am into the details, so I will watch matches. And I'm like, you know, it's like bloody Minority Report me watching a match. I'm like, oh, that was a tackle. That was an interception. Oh, that was a passing completed. But yeah. big chance miss just frustrates me so much because it is not the same. It literally depends on the mood of whoever's scoring it. And because mm. Opta have different scorers on different matches, um, you know, I actually lost out on a star rare last week because Adam Buxer got marked down for a big chance missed. Um, and his big chance missed was a header from beyond the penalty spot where he was being challenged, actually had his shirt pulled by one of the defenders. And he got a header on target, but it wasn't strong enough and the keeper saved it. Whereas um, in the Hungary versus France game, I think in the 94th minute, Rafa Varane had a free header from three yards that he put wide, and that wasn't given a big chance missed. So I'm just like, it, it frustrates me so much when you just see the inconsistency across, you know, one match versus another, particularly when podiums and card places are won by a matter of, you know, sometimes fractions of a point. So I'd like to see, I still think, yes, if you've missed a chance, you should be deducted. But I think, you know, potentially there's a revision to that in, you know, if you've taken a shot and it's off target or you've taken a shot and you haven't scored, maybe rather than negative five for this dreaded big chance missed, it's like, you know, negative two for shot off target or, you know, negative 0.5 for shot on target that wasn't a goal. You know, something along those lines where it's very clear cut of that has happened or that hasn't happened rather than something that can be, you know, changed based on the whim of whoever's whoever's watching the match. Yeah, no, I agree. Subjective stats are a ball lake. They break your heart. They do. Or make your day. Or <laughs> but, make your day, yeah. I just keep getting big chances missed and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. devastating me. Um, and is that it then? That, that was the two. That's the two. Yeah, the other one I think is, if I can go to three, is two. I don't see why um, forwards, so forwards don't score any points for recoveries. So forwards don't get scored for tackles or interceptions. And I think a big part of the modern game is is pressing. So, you know, to press effectively, you need all players on the pitch to be doing that. So I don't see why forwards shouldn't get, you know, it could be yes, it could be less than a defender, but I don't see why forwards just don't get anything for a tackle or an interception. Mm. No, that's completely fair. Yeah, like that, that's bollocks, really. Uh, we'll do one more question. I'm going to do the 137 game and wrap up. We're a little bit over, but unless you need to run anywhere, we're okay to go for another five minutes. Yeah, okay um, to me. So rare value is asked any clear patterns emerging from the analysis, such as the profile of players that score higher. For example, is it better to have a defensive center back winning duels or an attacking wing back involved in possession? I honestly think this depends on the composition of your team and what you are looking for. So what I have seen is that center backs tend to be more consistent and full backs tend to be more explosive. Um, the thing that unifies them is loss of possession. Um, so what I what I tend to look for in a defender is players with high pass completion success. 
um, regardless of where they're playing. And then it depends on what I'm looking for in my team. I always try to include an explosive player in there to give me that sort of chance of pulling an 80 or pulling a 90. But, mm. you know, also as well, I do have, you know, some players and they all tend to be centre-backs that are just, you know, they're 55 points a game. You know, they sort of get you 50, get you 60. And, and that tends to be centre-backs. But the thing that that kills all defenders is that sort of loss of possession, um, particularly, unfortunately, fullbacks. Um, so, the, you know, what you have with the fullbacks is you're trying to balance the, yes, they're putting crosses in the box, but how many key passes can they get versus loss of possession? So, you know, if there's someone that creates a lot of chances, um, then they can they can override the, you know, the, the drag down of the points that they would get from loss of possession. That's why you tend to see fullbacks will get like 80 or 35, whereas, you know, centre-backs tend to be pretty flat at sort of somewhere between 45 and 60. I'm looking, I, I got Trent recently and I'm over the moon, um, but uh, he is such an example of like peaks and troughs, like because he will yeah. have weeks where he throws 20 crosses into the box and all of them hit defenders' heads. And then he'll have yeah. another week where he, it's the decisives that make it for him. Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah. I'm interested and to see how that one pans out. He's going to make a yeah. break game weeks, I think. Yeah, but that's it. And that's the vol- that's the volatility that you get with fullbacks. But, you know, very rarely, unless... So the only sort of cheat code to this is if you can find a defender that takes free kicks or takes corners. Mm. So there's two that sort of stood out for me. Um, Brooks Lennon is one place for Atlanta. Um, he ended up getting seven key passes in a game last week. And Jeez. in the MLS, he's second to Carlos Gill in terms of key passes um, this season. So he's one that's a bit of a, you know, under the radar gem because he gets a load of key passes from taking corners. Um, and the other one is uh, Hatanaka of Yokohama F Marinos. He's another one that's on free kick duties. So if you can find a defender that's taking free kicks or corners, they tend to be very, very good scorers. Mm. Well look, let's let's uh, I'm sure everyone's got a few players in their mind that they need to go shopping for now and a few stats they need to look out for and a few stacks they need to create. But before you leave us, Tackers, I'm gonna hit you with the one thirty seven game that I still haven't come up with a more creative name for. But basically you have to pick two players playing in the next game week. Is it one eight four? Yeah, it's one eight four. That'll combine for a score of as close to one thirty seven as possible. If you win, you'll get a so rare merch bundle, and you'll also get some one thirty seven p.m. merch that you can rock next time you're on a on a podcast or stream. And uh, the the leader so far is actually last week's guest Perez. He scored one oh six, a whopping thirty one points off the actual total. Um, after like five attempts, four attempts. He had Neymar with 61 points and Danilo with 45. Who's it going to be? Well, I thought about this a lot. And I thought as we've spent most of the podcast talking about stacking, uh, I kind of have to go for a stack. So I have (laughs) gone for um, Gabriel Arias and Eugenio Mina, both of Racing Club. Um, in Argentina. So Argentina League starts up this weekend and racing keep a lot of clean sheets. So my logic was if we can get a sort of, you know, 70 and a 60, um, you know, which which those players tend to do if they keep a clean sheet, then we'll be, we'll be in the mix. That's um, the move. That's the move. Yeah. Two clean sheets is what you want. People yeah. always try and be a hero and pick a Neymar or a Cecinia. You just need two clean sheets, really. Maybe this game's flawed. Maybe you've broken well, it. Broken the hopefully, game. Yeah. Hopefully the future guests don't listen. I'll know for I mean, if they don't pick two if defenders. They don't get a clean... oh, sorry, Karen. I was just going to say, if future guests don't pick two defenders, I'll know they're not listeners. 
Oh, well, there we go. I mean, I, I could absolutely get stuffed if they don't keep a clean sheet, but, you know, we'll go for it. Um, <laughs> That's it. I'm excited, what? actually. I built them a couple of weeks ago, and I'm really like, – like the Argentina League has been dormant for six weeks, so this is the first time I get to use this pair in my SO5, so I'm pretty excited. I'm really bad at neglect. I've completely neglected South American football, and maybe it's something I shouldn't have done, but um, I'm just kind of biding my time for two weeks from now when things start to kick off in Europe. But, yeah. Techers, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Do you want to give yourself a good plug before you leave and tell everyone about the wonderful patron you have? Yeah, well, I set up a patron recently, um, just focused on sharing this kind of information. Um, I'm, you know, find diving into the data and sort of looking beyond the numbers incredibly intriguing. And I was doing so much research that was just sat on my own laptop that I thought I'd um, share the love and, and, you know, give people the opportunity to ask me questions and, you know, get a bit of insight into into my approach to the game and, and try and help people you know, feel a little bit more confident in in playing Sorare and, you know, helping to compose the teams because I appreciate it can be, you know, particularly at the upper reaches, it can be quite a big investment. So if I can provide information that, that helps people feel more confident in the purchase, then, you know, that, that's sort of what I'm what I'm trying to do. Very good. Well, definitely go and check it out. Um, I'll put a link to it in the description. Remember to do that. And, yeah, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Look, hopefully i chat to you again down the line. Yeah, and absolutely. good Thank luck you. with the, the Argentinian players this week yeah big, big time <laughs> all the best see you later thank you cheers okay so I hope you enjoyed this week's episode Tackers was a great guest uh, I hope it opened your eyes to the world of stacking and maybe you have a few strategies in your mind you're going to try and implement in your so rare galleries. Uh, make sure you leave a review on the podcast on Apple. If you don't have an Apple device, go and steal someone's phone uh, or iPad or whatever and leave a review. One of the lucky reviewers of this month will receive a so rare merch bundle in the post. So make sure you leave a handle or somewhere I can contact you there. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week.